from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33, and I'll be reading all the way to verse 46. It continues from last week's reading where Jesus is in the temple courts addressing the chief priests and the elders. And he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They, built, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his own son. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And Jesus asked, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to the other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people knew that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Matthew Scott, and I'm entering my third year of Duke Divinity School. And for those of you who do know me, it is a pleasure to be with you here this morning because you have likely had a hand in shaping my journey here. This faith community baptized me, this faith community confirmed me, it raised me in my faith, and it helped me discern a call to ministry. So it is a pleasure to be invited here to be with you this morning. This parable that we'll look at today is a continuation from last week, where Jesus is in the temple court speaking with the chief priests and the elders who are questioning his authority. Jesus responds with a question to bring up John the Baptist's authority and then teach them a lesson. And this week's parable is a continuation of that lesson. The parable begins with a landowner who prepares the land as a vineyard. He digs the wine press, builds a wall for protection, and a tower. All these portions are typical of a vineyard and we would be well known to Jesus' audience in the day. In fact, the reference to a vineyard is a common teaching in Scripture and would like, likely bring to mind many different passages for the Israelites. Once the vineyard is prepared, the landowner gives the vineyard to the tenants. It's a lease agreement, so the tenants do not receive the land outright, but rather there is terms to this relationship. The landowner has left, but will send for the fruit in the harvest time. As time goes by, the landowner sends servants to collect the fruit of the land. 
However, the tenants break the terms of their relationship and do not send the fruit. Instead, they kill the servants. This is clearly a wrongdoing against the landowner. He has rights in their relationship, and the tenants have broken the terms of the agreement. But the landowner is patient with the tenants. He sends more servants to collect the harvest. Again, the tenants give no fruit and kill the servants. Finally, the landowner sends his own son. The tenants become greedy and kill the son, seeking to get his inheritance. At this point in the story, we see a quick judgment that is not given by Jesus himself, but is given by the chief priests and the elders. This echoes the judgment of King David, spoken by himself, provoked by the prophet Nathan's story. In our parable, the elders and chief priests speak of their own judgment as they speak of the sentencing of the tenants. Jesus fills in the gaps for them and for us, tying the story back to the reality of the kingdom. The sentencing for the unfaithful tenant, those who do not produce the fruit, is that the kingdom of God is taken away from them and will be given to those who do produce its fruit. Very quickly, Jesus takes an old Israelite analogy of a vineyard and ties it to his current focus of the kingdom of God. Jesus uses one standard to judge the relationship with these people and with us as well, whether or not we will produce kingdom fruit. This is a crucial question from our Lord. Have you produced kingdom fruit? There's a lot for us to learn in this passage. First of all, it is important to note the context of Jesus' statements. Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and the elders of the day, the religious leaders. These are the religious elite who think they have everything nailed down in the faith. They have think they have everything failed, everything figured out. After last week's parable of addressing their question of his authority, now Jesus sets in to instruct them how the life of faith actually works. Jesus has a knack for doing this, for turning things around, for turning them on his head. He likes to turn things just as he did the, turning the tables over in the temple earlier in this chapter. Now he comes to set the religious elite straight on the life of the kingdom, why we are all here. Jesus in our parable is describing to them how the life of faith works. He's coming in to say, all right, leaders of the church, it's no longer enough just to be entrusted with the faith. We have to actually do something about it. God is not calling us to merely receive something and do nothing. God wants us to do something with this faith that he has entrusted us with. That something that God wants from us is relationship. The narrative of God in our lives is him constantly seeking to restore us to a relationship with him. This relationship of God with us has certain results, like love, joy, peace, and patience. These aren't the things we seek to strive to create. Rather, these naturally flow from this loving relationship we have with God. Scripture refers to these things as fruit. Constantly, God will talk about bearing fruit in the scriptures. This fruit is what God seeks from us, the natural outflow of our relationship with him. In other words, God wants us in relationship with him, and he uses these fruits as a litmus test to demonstrate that relationship. This fruit is not something for us to focus on. 
not something for us to try to produce. Rather, the fruit is the result of our relationship with God. So the focus is not the fruit, but rather God himself, who he is and what he has done and what he is currently doing in our lives. While focusing on him and who he is, we can step more and more into this relationship with him. So when Jesus uses the standard of bearing fruit with the leaders, he is not calling them to focus on their fruit. Rather, he is calling them to focus on a relationship with him. The burden to produce fruit is not on us at all. This is not the call. The call for us is merely to abide in Jesus, as John describes in chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This abiding that Jesus speaks of means walking with him in relationship. It means following him where he leads. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We need to take the time to hear the master's plans. We need to slow down in our days enough to hear what God is saying, where he is leading us. We need to read the word and pray and listen. We need to be able to hear God proclaim that we are his beloved in whom he takes much delight. So we know who we are. We need to hear God enough that we can discern where he is guiding us. If we don't know where God is or where he is leading us, we need to draw back from the busyness of this world and be still and listen. It is also important to note that we are not called to do things on our own. We are called to be dependent on God. God gives us all the things he expects of us. Notice in the, par in the parable, the landowner has provided everything in the vineyard and prepared it for the tenant. Look at the lives of the disciples or the writing of Paul in the body of Christ. God gives us his Holy Spirit. He equips us with gifts. He prepares us to do good works. Good works that do not justify us, but are merely fruit of his presence in our lives. The vineyard is prepared by God himself for us. God gives us what we need, but we must remain in him. We must also recognize that God's ways are not necessarily our ways. In other words, we tend to approach things focused on our gifts and abilities and not God's. But the wisdom of the world is often foolishness to God. Abiding in God can mean something totally different than we would think of in our own lives. It is often a means of letting go of the means of productivity that we are normally accustomed to. God ways, God's ways could mean marching around a city, blasting trumpets to have the walls of the city fall, or decreasing an army of 30,000 to 300, or even sending a small boy to fight a giant. The ways of God are often not like the ways of this world. This is why the call is not a means or a method of working to produce, but a call, rather, to abide. 
I think this call is best identified in the story of Mary and Martha, or even Jesus going off to pray. Both instances deal with people going off, away from the busyness of life, and being still, and taking the time to slow down and listen to God. To hear God speak, even to hear God whisper. If we are not slowing down or listening, then how can we hear where God is leading us? Look at Cornelius being directed to Peter, or Philip being sent to the eunuch, or Ananias being sent to Paul. They would never have thought to do these things on their own. But God told them to go and look at the fruit that he yielded. Cornelius comes to faith, receives the Holy Spirit, and Peter learns for the first time that this gospel is actually for Gentiles as well. And through Philip, God brings the eunuch to faith, a man of a totally different place. And look at Paul who affected so much of the early church and wrote so much of the scriptures. God clearly does not act in predictable ways, but he does want us to join him in his work. Jesus said, My burden is light and my yoke is easy. We cannot enter into these works on our own. We must be resting with God in relationship and hearing him guide us. In this way, we will be abiding in him and his love and bearing the fruit that flows from that relationship with him. It is also important for us to note in this passage that the landowner is patient. He sends multiple delegations trying to bring the tenants back to the terms of their relationship. This is a consistent characteristic of our God. God does this with us, continually seeking and calling us. I think this leads us to ask, Where in our lives, Lord, are you continually knocking on my door, coming and seeking me out? Where in my lives, where in my life am I not responding to your call? Where in my life am I not hearing you? Notice also that after the tenants kill the landowner's servants, he is willing to send even his son. God is patient with us. He is loving and faithful so much so that he's even willing to send all he is and all he has after us. This is the extent that God goes for us, providing us with all that we need, even his own son. Notice that the landowner in the story provides his son even when he sees the servants have have been killed. He provides his son for us, knowing he will be sacrificed. This is what we are called to respond to. The love of God who gives all for us. But in this parable, we must also realize that there is judgment. There comes a time when the patient landowner is no longer patient and calls the tenants to account and removes what he has entrusted them with. Jesus informs the religious leaders that the kingdom of God will be taken from them and given to those who will produce kingdom fruit. God has entrusted us with his kingdom. He has called us to live a life of resting and abiding in him. He desires a faithful response to his loving provision of his son. At some point, he will say enough is enough and take his kingdom from those who do not produce its fruit and give it to others who will. So I believe the call for us is to set up these prayer altars in our lives. Set up times at home and at work with our families, with our small groups, with our Sunday schools, where we slow ourselves and be still and listen to hear God's voice and where he is calling us. 
if this is new to you, I think it begins with us taking the time to slow down. Take the time this evening to carve out 15 minutes in your life. Slow down the busyness of your day and the distractions. Turn off the TV and just be still. Open the word of God and ask him to speak. I think you will be pleasantly surprised to discover that God is constantly speaking to us. And when we take the, slow down, the time to slow down and listen, we will hear his voice. We will hear him calling to us. And as we respond to that voice, we will begin to see fruit in our lives. Kingdom fruit, the fruit that God calls us to produce. Amen.